Okay, if you have a Bible with you, please open up uh, to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, today is my third in a series on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, as I begin, I want to thank Tom Schultz for filling the pulpit last week. I appreciate you, buddy. Always does a good job. In, yeah, give Tom a hand. Absolutely. Verses 3 to 14 in chapter 1 are just jam-packed with truth after profound truth. <laughs> at the same time, Paul, at least in this letter, is the king of run-on sentences. It just, it's like, give me a period. Somewhere there, sweet Jesus, give me a period. It's just comma after semicolon after comma <laughs> in this text. Um, so this morning I want to take a look at verses 4 to 10 and uh, break it down in little bite-sized pieces uh, so it makes it easier to understand. As, um, as I preach, if you would, um, be listening to God, listen to the Holy Spirit, see if He gives you a word of knowledge. If He does, we'll leave time at the end of the sermon to, uh, for you to share them, and then it'll lead us into our ministry time. Okay, I'll begin at verse 3 and read through verse 10. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's what we studied, that's what I spoke on last time. Verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In, his, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he proposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth, and under the earth. Lord, I thank you for your word and for the truth that's in your word. Lord, I pray for your grace to speak your word to your people in a life-giving way. And Lord, I pray even now that you prepare their hearts to receive it. In the end, let this be the result. Make us to be more like Jesus. Amen? Okay, verse 4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Man, that's awesome. Right? He chose us ahead of time. He chose you ahead of time. Before creation itself. The, the word world here in the Greek is cosmos. And what it actually means is the universe. Before God created everything that is. Before he created the universe. You were in his heart. You were in the very heart of God. Before he created the sun, the moon, the stars. Before he created light itself, before he created anything, he chose you. He picked you. Anybody remember as a kid, the players would be picked for a game? I mean, they did this in Brooklyn all the time. We played football or stickball, right? There were two captains, and then you got to pick. Man, it was awful to be that last guy picked, <laughs> right? But he picked you first. 
before he did anything else. He wanted you on his team, in his family. God chose you. It also means this, get this. If he picked you before he created anything, if he chose you before you existed in the natural, that means he chose you before you could do anything. <laughs> before you could produce or perform. Before you could give or serve. He chose you out of his great love. In his love, he chose you. John Calvin writes concerning this, he says, For if we are chosen in Christ, it is outside of ourselves. Amen. I agree. It is not from the sight of our deserving, but because of our Heavenly Father has engrafted us through the blessing of adoption into the body of Christ. In short, the name of Christ excludes all merit and everything which men have of themselves. It means, guys, it's not because you were good. <laughs> it's not because you did good. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You couldn't earn it or deserve it. You hadn't existed yet, except in the heart and mind of God. Before he created all that was, you already were in his heart and mind. And that's amazing. It's not our good works, but rather his gracious choice. And it's said, the scripture says, in his sight, meaning in his eyes, as God Almighty sees you, you are holy and blameless. You were chosen to be holy and blameless in his sight. Holy here means that it's a most holy thing. Something that is separated or set apart. When God says, he made you to be holy in His sight. That means that in His sight, you were set apart for Him. You were His portion. You were His prize. You were set apart for Him. Again, it's not about performance. It's about being chosen. You are holy. You are holy. For one reason alone, because God Himself has set you apart for Himself. We are holy because God is holy. And he gives us his holiness. There's no holiness in us. We can't produce it. Right. I don't care how hard we try. Or really how good we are at it. We fall short. We're imperfect. But we're holy because he's holy. I've told you this before. Nadine is a Zawacki because I'm a Zawacki. That's what holiness is like. We're in covenant relationship. We're holy because God's holy. Nadine's also a Zawacki because I pursued her relentlessly, <laughs> passionately, and eventually she let me catch her. Just like God does with us, he pursues us relentlessly and passionately out of his great love. But the text says not only are we holy, but we're blameless. What? <laughs> Seriously? Man, there are times in my life I've read these scriptures. How do, I, how do I gloss over this part? Blameless means to be without blame, but it means more than that. It means as a sacrifice without spot or blemish. Morally, without blemish, faultless. Get this, unblameable. <laughs> unblameable, I like that. I am unblameable in the sight of God. 
Whew. So powerful. And this is not our work. We didn't exist yet. <laughs> but the work of God. Now get this. This phrase, holy and blameless, turns up again later on in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He, he uses the same phrase in chapter 5. And as I read it, listen to who's doing the work of making holy and blameless. All right? We're familiar with, with this. Most of us are husbands. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. God makes his bride holy. God does the cleansing. God makes us radiant. God removes every stain, wrinkle, or blemish. God himself makes us holy and blameless. Not us. Not us. But God, that should set you free. <laughs> this should be extraordinary freedom in realizing this truth. Now, side note about the bride. I was away this past weekend with some, some old friends in New Hampshire. We hadn't seen in a long time, seven years or more. And we had some great conversations. And one of the guys shared this with me. It's a footnote in the Passion Bible, uh, the Passion Translation, for uh, when Jesus says, it is finished. Um, I forget where in John that is, but when Jesus cries out, it is finished. This is what my friend shared, so I had to go look up the footnote for myself. So in the New, the New Testament, it's written in Greek. But you know that Jesus didn't speak Greek. He spoke Aramaic. Aramaic is a language belonging to the same linguistic family as, as Hebrew. So on the cross, when Jesus cries out, it is finished, he would not have spoken it in the Greek, tetelestai. He would have spoken it in the Aramaic. Does that make sense? The Aramaic is the word uh, kala. kala. So instead of crying out, tetelestai, as I've probably preached in some sermon, <laughs> he preached out, kala. Now get this, kala is an um, Aramaic hominin, a word that sounds the same, but has two meanings, or multiple meanings. Kala means both fulfilled or completed, as in it is finished, but it also means, it also means bride. So on the cross, with his final breath, when Jesus cries out, kala! He's yelling out, my bride! He used that word. He, of course he's saying it's finished. But why did he choose that word? Because it is finished for my bride. It's all about relationship with Jesus. To his last breath, it was about us. I love that. Isn't that powerful? I love these little nuggets of truth that pop up to show us the heart of God. Isn't that awesome? So it's all about Jesus' passionate, fierce love for his bride. The bride he's cleansing. The bride that he's making radiant. The bride that he's making holy and blameless. The spotless bride that he's coming back for. Guys, God is so much better <laughs> than we thought he was. Which takes us to verse 5. Verse 5 says, In love. 
He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And so Strong's defines the word predestined, and I am not going down that theological rabbit trail. Strong defines predestined in the New Testament as God decreeing from eternity. What does predestined mean? It means that before the creation of the world, God had you in his heart and mind. In his great and lavish love, God decreed from eternity before the world was created that we are part of the family. That we're part of his family. And get this, this was not only his will, but the text tells us his great pleasure, his choice, his desire, his delight, his satisfaction. His great pleasure. Guys, that's how he sees you. I tell you what, there are times in my life I feel like 10 pounds of sin in a 5 pound bag. God never sees me that way. That's not what he sees when he looks at me. He sees the son that he loves. That's how it's possible that Jesus would choose the betrayer, Peter. That's how he would choose the terrorist, Saul Tarsus. Because before the world was created, he knew Paul. He, he knew who Paul would be. He looked at Peter. And yeah, he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. But he knew that on the day of Pentecost, Peter would be the one standing up. Being the standard bearer. Our God's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. Before the world began, they were part of the family. They were adopted. They just didn't know it yet. William Barclay writes concerning adoption. He says in Roman law, when the adoption was complete, it was complete indeed. The person who had been adopted had all the rights of a legitimate son in his new family and completely lost all rights to his old family. In the eyes of the law, he was a new person. So new that even all debts and obligations connected to his previous family were abolished as if they never existed. That sounds like being born again to me. Right? And get this. Get this. It's all by God's grace. Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. How is all this even possible? How? How could he love us that much before we even existed in, in the physical realm? How is it possible that we could be chosen by Almighty God? How could God possibly see us this way? How could he see us as spotless, unblameable, and part of the family? It's all by his glorious grace. It can't be by works. If we didn't exist yet, how could it possibly be by works? It's not. It's all by his glorious grace. It says in the next chapter, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, you're very familiar. For it is by grace you have been saved. 
through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast it. This amazing grace has been freely given. It's not earned. It's not deserved. It's not merited by our production or our behavior. It's freely given. And you know what? Free means free. There's no bait and switch here. You don't get the three months free and then bam, they hit you with the service charge. Free means free. No charge. Freely given to us in Jesus, the one the Father loves. I like the way the King James Version takes this phrase. Listen to it. Verse 6, it says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved. I like that. Accepted in the beloved. I really like the sound of that. Back in the 4th century, the Archbishop of Constantinople, John Chrysostom, wrote concerning the work of God, that makes us accepted in the beloved, he says, it is as if one were to take a leper and change him into a lovely youth. Right? Truly, we're born again. New creations in Christ Jesus. Verses 7 and 8. I tell you what, as a young Christian, I was raised in, a, in performance-based Christianity. I absolutely was. And you know what? I was a high performer. <laughs> Tell me what the rules were. I'll play by the rules. Tell me what I's to dot, what T's to cross, what hoops to jump through. I'll, ju I'll dot them all, cross them all, jump through the hoops better than anybody else. And I thought it was by how good I was. It's so liberating. It's so freeing. To know it's all by His grace. Because you know what happened as a high performer? When I screwed up, it crushed me. Man, it would take me out for days. It might take me out for weeks. It's just, you know, it just, I felt like I failed God. And that maybe he didn't love me anymore. Or that he was opposed to me. To read this and to discover how wrong I was and just how good he is, man, it has brought me more freedom. I can't tell you. Firstborn. A-type personality, perfectionist, <laughs> okay? You know what happens to that personality type when they mess up? Oh, it's awful. It's just awful. This is, when they say the gospel is good news, this is the good news. This is good news. Verses 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. You know, just chew on that for a while. You're looking for a scripture verse to meditate on for a while? You're looking for something that you could use in your prayer closet? You need something taped to your bathroom mirror? You want a verse that would be good to memorize? I'm recommending this one. This is a powerful verse of scripture, man. We have redemption. That means we've been ransomed. We've been delivered. We've been liberated. Anybody seen this the series Band of Brothers? Yeah. One of one of my favorites, right? Totally a, a man thing. I know you liked it too, baby. 
But there's one of the episodes where, they, where they're freeing captives from one of the concentration camps. Oh, it's a glorious thing to be set free. It's a glorious thing. We've been ransomed. We've been delivered. It's a glorious thing to be liberated. And there was a price paid for our freedom. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19, and the first part of verse 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, who's in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You have been bought at a price. Webster's Dictionary defines redeemed as to make something that is bad or unpleasant better or more acceptable. It also means to exchange or to buy back. We've been bought back by God. We've been ransomed by God. We've been purchased by Christ's own blood. It says we've been redeemed, we have redemption and forgiveness. It means we've been pardoned. We've been released from prison. It's the reason Jesus came. He came to set the captives free. He said so. Luke 4, verse 18, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. To proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. To set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Why did he come? He came to release us from prison. John 3, not only there, Jesus said in John 3, 16 and verse 17, For God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The gospel is good news. In Luke 4.18, Jesus says, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And all of this, by the riches of his grace, by his lavish, superabundant, amazing grace. Not cheap, thin, weak, or fragile grace, but by the riches of his grace. And the text goes on, if you don't get the point there, he says that he lavished on us. He lavishes this grace upon us, this amazing grace, this superabundant grace. It's not like he gives us a thimbleful. He lavishes that grace upon us. Now, lavish means to overflow with abundance. You want a word picture? Imagine a three-year-old with a four-liter gallon of milk trying to pour a glass into a juice cup. Okay? You know what that, what's that going to look like? That's a picture of overflowing, superabundant grace. Hey, man, I didn't write this. It's in the book. Overflowing. And it says, with all wisdom and understanding. All wisdom and understanding about what? Let's look at verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Part of what belongs to us under the riches of his grace is the knowledge of the mystery of his will. God likes to tell secrets to his friends. So what is this mystery of his will? What is it that's been made known to us with all wisdom and understanding? What is it that 
What is this mystery that according to his good pleasure has been purposed in Christ for us and to us? It's this. That God desires intimacy with us. That the Trinity desires intimate love with you, with me, with all of us. That God created us for, for friendship, for relationship with him. It's the purpose behind everything, creation, the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the second coming, all of it is because God wants relationship with us. So that we would be one with him as the Father, Son, and Spirit are one with each other. You want a clue into this? You want, you want scriptural backing for that statement? Consider Jesus' prayer on the night he was betrayed before going to, to the cross. This offers insight into the mystery of God's will. Listen, to, listen in to the conversation that Jesus is having with the Father from John 17. Jesus says to the Father, My prayer is not for them alone, them being the, the disciples who are with him that night. I pray also for those who will believe in me through that message. Who's that? That's us. We're the ones who believe because of the message. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me. Holy cow. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. That's the mystery. That's his desire. That's the purpose behind all of this. I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Let me read that without interrupting with my commentary or, or my excitement. My prayer is <laughs> not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. Jesus, you love us so. Your heart for us is unimaginable. Your desire for us, Lord, just blows my mind. We have an amazing God who loves us with an amazing love. And he has lavished his amazing grace upon us that humanity might have intimacy with the divine. That the finite might commune with the infinite. <laughs> that heaven might meet earth with a sloppy wet kiss. Verse 10. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. 
Concerning this phrase to bring to unity, David Guzik writes, the commentator, he says, the word for gather together or to bring to unity has the idea of to unite or to sum up. It was used of the purpose, excuse me, it was used as the process of adding up a column of figures and putting the sum at the top. Paul's idea is that God will make all things add up at the end. And right now, he is in the process of coming to that final sum. So, he'll bring it all to unity. He'll bring us to him. He'll have what he's always wanted. Friends. We will enter the circle of perfect love and perfect unity that's shared among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the day will come when indeed it's all going to add up. Be encouraged. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, man, it don't add up. <laughs> one plus one is not equal to two. Two plus two is equaling cat. I don't get it. It's not adding up, oh God. It's going to all add up. We're not at the end of our journey. We're not at the end of our story yet. When the times reach their fulfillment, or in the fullness of time, another way to say it, truly God is able, God alone is able to work all things together for good. I know that some of you sitting here today, you've had bad things happen to you. Me too. But guess what? God loves you. And I know you love him. In the end, he will work all things together for good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for choosing us. Blows my mind, but that you chose us before anything else. You chose us. Thank you, Lord, for capturing our hearts even as we ran from you. Thank you for ransoming us with your blood, for loving us lavishly, and for your amazing, superabundant grace. Thank you, Lord. Lord, for your desire, for intimacy with us, our response to you this morning is yes. We want intimacy with you as well. For each of us, oh God, take us from here to there. Draw us closer still. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now before we close with a final song, does anybody have any words of knowledge they'd like to share?